Welcome to Albuquerque Westside Foursquare's podcast. My name is Tony. I lead worship at Westside Foursquare Church and upload the podcast. If you have questions, comments, or prayer requests, please reach out to us in the email listed in the show notes. You can also find us on YouTube and Facebook. I hope you enjoy the message today. We've been going through our... Um, we've been going through our series on the Ten Commandments, and um, last time I preached two weeks ago, by the way, thank you, um, Tony and Katie, for covering everything while Joy and I were away. We had a marvelous time camping, Um, and thank you for everyone's patience and letting us go. We appreciate that. Um, And two weeks ago, I talked about commandment number eight, which was, you shall not steal. And we talked about a little bit about what a believer's relationship should be with things, with earthly stuff. And we talked about how the proper relationship of a Jesus follower with earthly stuff is one of stewardship, that we are stewards of stuff. Because when we give our lives to Jesus, we give our entire lives to Jesus, That means all the stuff that we have control over as well. So money, things, whatever, all of that goes to Christ because Christ, by his blood, purchased us completely. Start to finish, everything that we have, everything, all of our talents, everything that we can do, everything that we have control over becomes Christ's. That is what it means to become a disciple of Jesus. It means that everything you have becomes Jesus stuff. And so our proper relationship with stuff and money is that we become stewards. Now, commandment number nine is you shall not bear false witness. In other words, you will not lie. But I'm going to skip over that one this week, and we're going to talk about commandment number 10 because I want to continue this thought about our relationship with stuff and with money and what is the proper relationship with stuff and money. Um, And then next time, we will go backwards to commandment number nine. So commandment number 10 says, you shall not covet. And it goes into great detail about what you shall not covet. You won't covet basically anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, what does covet mean? I was about to ask. Does anybody... What? To take. Nope. That's you shall not steal. What does you shall not covet mean? David, do you want to guess? Do you know what it means to covet something? To hide it? No, not quite. Sounds, that's a good... Right, that's a good good attempt to look at the root word. That was very good. To covet something is when you want what someone else has. When you want what someone else has. Now, in our American culture, that is the norm. How many of you ever watched a commercial on TV? 
Mm-hmm. Have you ever watched a commercial on TV? I try not to. But we see commercials very often because they're everywhere. Right. There are commercials everywhere. Let me ask you a question, Rachel. Have you ever seen an advertisement for a product that had a, a girl or a woman in it and that girl or woman was physically unattractive? I mean, in the woke culture of today, perhaps so, but not... But not really. Yeah. Even in today's culture, they talk a lot about that, mm-hmm. but when it comes right down to it, they don't really live that way, do they? No, advertisers and these big companies will um, proclaim that they're fair and that they're kind and that they're woke and all this stuff. But you know what? Their ads are still full of sexy people. Why? Because when we, because we uh, in our culture are bound by covetousness. We want what other people have. When we see someone that we think is successful or attractive, we want to be like they are. We want to have their success. We want to have their looks. We want to have their attractiveness. And so what do they do? Is When they advertise a product, they use an attractive person to advertise that product. Why? Because they know that in our hearts, people are covetous. Also draws attention. Right. It draws attention because advertisers know that human beings in our hearts are covetous. Remember that sin, we've learned from what Jesus said, sin is something that's inside of us. Sin is not the actions that we do. The actions are just a fruit of the sin that's in our hearts. And advertisers know that we are covetous. How old are you, Rachel? 18. 18. So if they want to sell a product to an 18-year-old girl, they're going to find somebody who looks 18 that's super attractive. They're going to take a picture of that young lady so that she looks like she's totally cool and has lots of friends and she's completely secure. Why? Because they want to reach the covetousness that's in your heart and use that to manipulate you to buy their product. Young lady or young boy. Right? How old are you, John? I am 43. 43. Ah. So if advertisers, you're 43, you're prime age to buy a car, okay? You're right on the verge of um, possibly having a midlife crisis, right? Well, he is a lot older than he says he is. His not, his, the amount of years he's lived is a total digit of pie. Yeah, he must okay. 43 BC. So, what are they going to do? They're going to advertise to 43-year-old men. They're going to get a guy who looks 43, but he's very attractive. He looks very successful. He looks like he's got money. He looks like attractive women still want him. And they're going to use that kind of person and put him in a nice sports car because they're trying to reach the covetousness in your heart because all of us, because we're fallen human beings, all of us have the sin, the sin in our heart that the Holy Spirit is freeing us from. But advertisers are going to try and reach that sin that's in your heart, that covetousness, to manipulate you to buy their product. And all of us are assaulted with this all the time. 
with billboards and goodness gracious, companies will cover their cars with advertisements. You see it in the magazines as you exit the checkout stand at Walmart. Or the or you know what? When you're in Walmart, like we were looking for camping stuff the other day uh, before we went camping. Have you ever noticed how attractive all the campers are on the cu- on the packaging of all their products? Yeah. You ever notice that? Yeah, and they're like super clean and attractive and their hair's just right. I don't know about you, but after I've been camping for a couple days, I look nothing like the advertisements on the camping packaging. Half the time, right? do the campground, but I don't look that good. Right? But you know what? It's because advertisers have figured out that we have covetousness in our hearts. Advertisers know that people are greedy and covetous. And so they try and manipulate that sin that is in our hearts. Because in America, we've identified success with collecting stuff and money. Have you ever heard the term, um, I saw this on a bumper sticker once. It said, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. And I saw it on a big 4x4 pickup truck. Okay? On a big four-wheel drive pickup truck. It said, whoever dies with the most toys wins. But then later I saw one that said, whoever dies with the most toys still dies. That one was more honest than the first one was. Right. But we don't think about that when we're giving into our covetousness. And America has equated success with collecting money and trophies. So some of the things that Americans consider successful, signs of success. Um, Do you have a nice car? When I worked at the car dealership, you wouldn't believe how many people would come in and they would trade their car in for a new model every year. And they would spend thousands of dollars every year on a new down payment. And then they would get a new car every year. I had one friend at the dealership and he had a customer that would come in every year and buy a brand new Land Rover every year. $85,000 vehicle every year. Why? Because that made them feel successful. How about cell phones? Cell phone, the cell phone is the poor person's sign of success. So you can have somebody that um, they may be working in fast food. They may be 30 years old, working in fast food, a total bum, not doing anything with their life, but they will have the latest new cell phone and that makes them feel successful. Even though they don't work hard, they don't, you know, they're not doing anything to take, you know, to make themselves a good product. Do you realize that you're a product? And it's your responsibility to make yourself a good product for your company to pay for? But people, instead of working on making themselves better, a, a better person, they'll go out and get the latest cell phone and it will make them feel important. How about clothes? 
People will go out and buy the latest fashions. They'll buy the latest clothing. Why? Or the clothing that they feel makes them look cool. And it may be, you know what? You could, did you know that you can be covetousness and still shop at thrift stores? You can be covetous and still shop at thrift stores? Why? Because covetousness, covetousness, I'll get it right. Being a coveter, <laughs> covetousness is something that's in our hearts. There are rich people that covet what other people have. And there are poor people that covet what other people have. Every human being is susceptible to the sin of covetousness. Everybody in America wants all the paraphernalia that comes with being successful. Paraphernalia means all the stuff that comes with something. And when I thought about how Americans want the paraphernalia of success, you know what I thought about? The word paraphernalia is most often used to describe all the tools and things that are used for drug abuse. Paraphernalia. So like if, if the cops come into a house and they find a bunch of drug paraphernalia, it means they found needles, they found pipes, they found whatever is used for the distribution and the use of that drug. And you know what? I realize that using the term that Americans want to have all the paraphernalia of success is exactly right because it's the, all that success is to feed their, uh, their addiction to pride. Their addiction to getting what they want. It is paraphernalia. And new cell phones and new cars and the right kind of clothing and uh, the newest video game system or whatever it is can become paraphernalia to to the abuse of stuff for the addiction of pride. See, my life can be a mess. I can be living in my mother's basement. I can be a total bum at work and go through eight different jobs in three years because I don't show up on time, but I have the newest cell phone, so I'm still cool. You know what I mean? So I still feel better about myself. It's a drug. And did you know that it literally can be an addiction? When you succeed at something, like we were talking, Rachel, about how you worked really hard yesterday. How many hours did you work yesterday? 13. You worked 13 hours yesterday at Chick-fil-A. And when you were done, it was hard. But do you remember that feeling of, I did it. I was there for my coworkers. I didn't bail on them. I did my job really well. Do you remember that good feeling that you had? Did you know God created your brain to feel that way when you accomplish something? Your brain actually emits endorphins that give you a sense of well-being when you accomplish something. That's why teachers work so hard to help kids learn because there's that endorphin release when they learn something, when they overcome something. Have you ever gotten 100% on a test at school? How does that feel? Doesn't that feel awesome? That is your brain releasing endorphins. It's a God-given reward to you for accomplishing something. But you know what? In America, we want to have the good feeling without actually doing anything. 
So you know what we do? You know what we do? We go buy something new. You know why? Because it causes your brain to release that endorphin. There are people that are buying new stuff all the time because it feeds on that covetousness they have and it makes them feel good and it is actually can become an addiction. People who exercise often, do you realize that their brains release these positive endorphins? That's why one of the, um, one of the things that you can do if you're struggling with depression is go start exercising. It's one of the number one recommended things. Yeah, go start exercising. You know why? Because it releases endorphins in your brain that help you be less depressed. But you know what? Americans don't want to work for that. So instead, they just go buy something new. And it feeds into their covetousness. We have very, very, uh, in America, we have a very unhealthy relationship with things and stuff. This comes into churches. This is where it becomes a problem. This unhealthy relationship that we have with things and stuff makes its way into the church. And so that's why you end up with teachers and preachers in the church that tell you that God wants to bless you with stuff. God wants to bless you with money. God wants to bless you with things. You know why we give in to those teachings? Because having money and things makes us feel good. And I can tell you that in the American church, and I'm not talking about the church of Jesus. I'm not talking about the body of Christ. I'm talking about um, religious organizations, people's religion in America. Covetousness is a God in those churches. Covetousness controls the lives of people in churches in America. And it may be covetousness for power, It may be covetousness for um, spiritual gifts and miracles. It may be covetousness. God wants to bless you so you can have a new car. But covetousness is a huge idol in the American church today. The American church, and again, I'm talking about religious organizations. I'm not talking about the eternal church of Christ. Covetousness in the church is a huge idol idol. Now, of course, in the church, we wrap it in spirituality and we're not, yeah, we're not talking about covetousness. We're not talking about greed. We're talking about blessing and we're talking about prosperity because then it sounds more spiritual, but you know what it is? It's just a spiritual wrapping on the same ancient old sin of covetousness. And it's wrong. So does that mean we're not supposed to have anything nice or good? Nope, we're getting there. It does not mean we're not supposed to have anything nice or good. Okay? But let's see what, um, let's see what Jesus said about stuff. If we can all agree that Americans and American Christians have an unhealthy obsession with stuff and things, then what should we have? What, are, what should our attitude be about stuff and things? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. 
And again, as always, I ask you to flip or click over there to make sure that I'm telling you what's actually in the Bible. Because there's a lot of teachers out there that are telling you that the Bible is saying things that the Bible does not say. So please always flip or click with me over to these passages to make sure that I'm telling you what the Bible says and that I'm not taking things out of context. Matthew 6, starting in verse 16, Jesus is talking about religious leaders, okay? He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the Sadducees. He's talking about the the scribes, the religious leaders of the time. And he says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. In other words, when they fasted uh, to be fasting and praying like the Bible tells us to do, they would make themselves look really bad and really hungry, and their faces would look like this. You know why? Because they wanted everybody to go, wow, he's so spiritual because he's fasting. They wanted to get credit from people. Jesus says, verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. Those were normal activities. He's not saying dress up. He's saying, do what you normally do. Back in those times, they wouldn't bathe every day. That wasn't always an option. But they would wash their face and their hands and their feet. And they would anoint, they would put oil on their head. That was the fashion of the time. Right. They were doing their hair with oil. And sometimes it would be fragrant oil, just like we use cologne or things like this. Jesus isn't saying dress up when you fast. What he's saying is be normal. When you fast, do the normal things. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. So what he's saying is, he's saying when you do things for God, do them and expect God's rewards, not people rewards, okay? And then he goes into the next section, but I want you to see the context of this next section. The context of this next section is when you do things for God, expect God's rewards, not the rewards of people. So verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So if we're consumed with covetousness, and as, as uh, what we call ourselves Christians, but if our concern is we want God to bless us with earthly things, and our treasure is on earth, where is our heart going to be? On earth. Our heart's going to be on earth. If, if we as believers are twisting the scripture to say that God wants to give you stuff on earth, your treasure is on earth, then that is where your heart will be. And Jesus says that's not what we're supposed to do. He says, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. Who said this? Who's who's speaking here? Jesus said this. So can we take it to be true? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You, what does it say? Read it with me. 
You cannot serve God and money. And see, what these preachers are telling you is that by serving God, you can have money. But Jesus tells us the opposite. You can't be pursuing both God and money. You have to decide one or the other. And notice that when Jesus talks about the subject of money, it is in the context of the way the religious leaders were behaving. Religious leaders of the time were concerned and consumed with riches and treasure. In fact, they believed that if God liked you, you were rich. So if you were rich, God liked you. And poor people were cursed by God. The entire book of Job. Yep. Okay? So Jesus was already dealing with religious leaders that promoted being rich. And it's no different today. These religious leaders that are telling you that if you serve Jesus, you're going to be rich, they are doing the same thing the Pharisees did. And they are causing good-hearted people who love Jesus, they are causing them to put, to, uh, they're causing them to have their hearts on earth instead of in heaven where it belongs. And they're going to answer for that, I believe that. We are supposed to pursue blessing and prosperity in God's kingdom, not earthly kingdom. I believe in blessing. But you know what is the biggest blessing you can have? Healthy relationships with other people. Healthy relationships with your spouse, with your mom and your dad, with your family, with other believers. That is the biggest blessing that you can have and no money can ever buy that. Because the relationships, money will buy relationships, but it's all fake. And once the money goes away, guess what? They're not your friend anymore. Prodigal son discovered that one. Right? The biggest blessings and prosperity you can have is relationship within the body of Christ. Yes. Yes. I would argue the biggest blessing is relationship with Christ himself. Yep. And that's why Jesus came, because he said we have to end up forsaking father and mother and brother and sister for knowing him. Right. I'm talking about blessing on earth. Okay? Yes, we do need to pursue Jesus, and I'm actually going right there. Okay? But the biggest blessing we can receive on earth, I mean, outside of our relationship with Christ... Our earthly blessings are relationships with other people, not stuff and money. Okay? So here's the bottom line, guys. I believe we are entirely too distracted by earthly stuff. And it goes two ways. Even in contradicting this, this what we've come to term as the prosperity gospel, even contradicting that, we can be too concerned with stuff. In the Middle Ages, there rose this practice called Vows of poverty, where monks who had, I think many of them had very pure motives. They wanted to get away from the corruption that was in the church at the time with rich bishops and all this corruption. And I think they had good motives. And so what they did was they took a vow of poverty where they vowed that they would own nothing and they would be poor their whole lives so they could serve God. But you know what? I don't think that's right either. 
because your focus is still on stuff. And so some people will say, well, I'm really spiritual because God's given me lots of stuff. And other people will say, well, I'm really spiritual because I don't need stuff. But both of those are pride. You can be just as prideful about not having stuff as you can be prideful about having stuff. Neither one of those attitudes is correct. So what is the right attitude? Paul had a better way to look at it. Okay? So I want you to look up Philippians chapter 4. First, find Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. It's kind of a small, a small uh, epistle. But find Philippians chapter 4. And you know what? At the end of this passage, we get to one of the most misquoted, taken out of context verses in the scriptures. I use um, often when I can't remember where a, a verse or passage is, you know what I use as a concordance? Google. Google. Google's the best concordance ever. You can put in like four words out of a verse and hit Google and it'll pop up and it'll like the first thing will tell you what verse it's in. So you can find it. So I wanted to find this passage, and just for fun, I put in... I did. No, I did not. So I put in this verse, because I knew it was at the end of the passage that I was looking for. I put in the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay? You know what? That was the, when I did that search in Google, it didn't just bring up references, it brought up advertisements for all kinds of plaques and shirts and greeting cards that have that verse on them. This is one of the most used verses in America. And you know what? It's misused. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that means that I can pass my tests. That means I can be successful at work. I will get the job. That means I'll get the job. That means I'll do whatever, this, that, or the other. And it's almost turned into a magic potion where I can get what I want because Christ strengthens me. Let's look at this in context. Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I'm sorry, when are we supposed to rejoice in the Lord? Always. What about um, when we've worked a 13-hour shift and the next morning we don't want to get up? Are we supposed to be yes. rejoicing in the Lord? Yes. It says always. Mm -hmm. What about when um, things aren't working well at work? Yes. What about when the bills are bigger than the amount of money in our bank account? Yes. That's maybe hard to it's hard to, but that's why Paul doesn't say, hey, I've got a suggestion. Why don't you try? Yeah. Well, Paul was writing this from prison. Right, and we're about to get into that. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So, Paul, what do you mean by always? He says, verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. In other words, don't worry. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be made known to God. Now, does it say God will then give you everything you want? No. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. Now listen, these verses are the important part here. The rest of it is the context by which we look at these verses. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. What is he talking about? He's talking about there's times in his life that he's been poor and he hasn't had much. And there's times in life where he's had a surplus. He's had extra. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, here's our attitude. Our attitude is, gosh, when I don't have enough money, I need, I need Christ to come and strengthen me. But when I do have plenty of money, I don't really need God's help. Paul says the point isn't to have money or not have money. The point is to be content and have Christ strengthening you in either situation. Do you know how many young Christian people have been discovered, their musical talent has been discovered, and they become famous, and it has ruined their walk with Christ? The point isn't that if God loves me, I'll have a lot, or if God loves me, if I love him, I won't have much. The point is, am I content in any situation? Is my mind focused on Christ when I have a lot or when I have a little? Am I trusting in Jesus to strengthen me when I have a little and when I have a lot? Guys, it's not about the stuff. It's not about the money. We're consumed with stuff and money one way or the other. Either, oh, I'm supposed to be blessed by God, or no, I love God enough where I don't need stuff. Neither one of those is the point. The point is, if I'm pursuing Christ, then if I have nothing, I will be okay, and I will still be pursuing Christ. If I have a bunch of stuff, I will be okay, and I will still be pursuing Christ. The point is to pursue Christ, period, always. And then, if you have money or don't have money, the money doesn't even matter, it doesn't even matter. Paul is saying it's not about being rich or being poor. He's saying that the earthly things are not even the focus of his life. Jesus is. Yeah. I think that's why when Jesus was talking about money, he said it's easier for uh, to get a camel through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to be in the kingdom of God. Because we have all this baggage, all this stuff that we've been holding on to and pursuing instead of God. And you know what? That stuff is not bad unless 
It distracts you away from God. And the truth is, when you're poor, you tend to look for God a lot more easily. So in reality, we need the strength of Christ to help us more when we have stuff than when we don't. Yeah. Well, yes. I, I think Paul says elsewhere, um, I think it might be in Colossians, he says that God appoints some people to be rich and some people to be poor. And I, I think it goes back to like the parable of the talents. He gave out the money based on each's ability. Mm -hmm. And you know what? In your life, there will be times where you have plenty, just like Paul. And in your life, there will be times when you don't have much at all. What is your life about? That's the only question that matters. And like Paul, he found the secret. The secret was that whether he had plenty or little... Christ gave him the strength to live right in the middle of that circumstance. That is the point. I'm not going to go to somebody who's a Christian and rich and say, oh, well, you're, you're not as spiritual because you have a bunch of stuff. And I'm not going to go to somebody who's poor and say, you're not spiritual because you don't have a bunch of stuff. When I interact with them, I'm going to talk about Jesus. And I'm going to point them to Jesus. And I'm going to rejoice with them about Jesus. And then who do they answer to for their stuff? Jesus. Because guess what? There are a lot of people who are poor because they're irresponsible. I'm not saying everybody who doesn't have a lot of stuff is poor because they're irresponsible. But if you don't have stuff, that doesn't make you more spiritual, especially if you're irresponsible. And that's why you don't have stuff. And there's people who have stuff and are irresponsible. Mm -hmm. The point is, am I following Christ? Am I becoming like Christ? In plenty and in lack, am I pursuing Christ? That is what matters. That is all that matters. The point is to honor Jesus. Yes? A few years ago, there were a lot of books and, and everyone was talking about the prayer, prayer of Jabez. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, we, we should all be praying that God will enhance our, uh, uh, enlarge our tents, enlarge what our territory God's given us mm-hmm. and so forth. And I, I think going along with what, what was said earlier, you guys are right that we don't need God to enlarge our territory. We need God to enlarge us. Did you know, you know, I read that book. Did you know that book doesn't talk about money or stuff? Really? It talks about your responsibility in the kingdom. Hmm. I did not know that. And asking God to give you more influence for Jesus. It's not about money and stuff at all. That book, The Prayer of Jabez, is actually an excellent book because it talks about really good spiritual principles. And it's not about money or stuff. It's about, God, would you make me responsible so that I can have more influence for your kingdom? Mm. But what did we turn it into? Money and stuff and covetousness. That's what we turned it into. We took the principles and instead of saying, yes, I'm going to pray that prayer, I'm going to pray that prayer of Jabez that God will make me responsible so I can have more influence for the kingdom. What we did was I'm going to take the prayer of Jabez and turn it into a magic formula that will give me more stuff and make me happy and fulfill what I covet. Give me what I covet. 
So, self-check. How much does the concept of stuff and money occupy my thoughts? Honestly, that's what it comes down to. Do I spend more time worrying about paying the bills than I spend time pursuing Christ? Paul says, don't worry. He says, take your requests to God mixed with thanksgiving so I can go to God and say, God, I have this big bill and I don't know how I'm going to pay it, but thank you that you saved my soul from sin. Thank you that you've given me a family that has love in it. You know, thank you that I have a meal today. And then bring your request to God at the same time. But then you let the peace of God guard your heart and mind. So again, the question is, do I think more about stuff and things and money or do I think more about Christ? Am I focusing more on the things that I want? Am I coveting what the world offers? Or am I desiring to have more of Jesus? And it really is a choice. It's a choice. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Christ, sets us free from the sin of covetousness. We don't have to covet anymore. We can be free to pursue the things of the kingdom rather than the things of earth. So Lord, we ask that you would make us people who desire you more than we desire temporary stuff. God, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow I could... Um, be hit by a meteor. And all my worry about money and all that other stuff, first of all, it, it'll all go to somebody else. Second of all, money is never going to protect me from the dangers in the universe. God, let us be people whose first thought and most thought is focused on Christ pursuing Christ, loving Jesus, loving others with Jesus' love. God, let, let me have a stewardship mindset about the stuff that I already have. And God, let me pursue you so strongly that if I lose everything, I will be content like Paul. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Remember, we believe in you and we believe in Jesus in you. Have a great week. Do enchilada lunch together as a church. So.